Hello and welcome to the Gimme More Gingy podcast. I'm your host, Gingy, and I've always lived my life outside of the social norms. With that being said, here I will share unmasked stories of my own as we explore ideas surrounding wellness, personal development, spirituality, sexuality, and so much more. All aimed at the objective in helping you align and honor your authentic self to explore different viewpoints and most importantly, to continue growing together. Oh, hello, it is your girl Gingy, and welcome to the Gimme More Gingy podcast. If this is your first time here, hello, welcome. I am so excited that the universe brought us together. And if you are returning, hello, welcome back. I am so excited to have you back. Today, I am so freaking excited. You have no idea. I've been wanting to do this interview for such a long time. I've been manifesting it. Here we are. But today, I am joined with Haley Honeyman. Hello. 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 <laughs> it's so great to be here. I'm so excited to chat and catch up and yes. talk and stuff. I feel, yeah, really excited to be here. So excited. So to kind of give like my audience a little brief introduction of how we know one another, mm-hmm. I came across Haley's TikTok. It was back in, I want to say it was either November or December. And she is, I'll let her explain exactly what she does, but she talks heavily about ADHD, which mm-hmm. I have. And she talks about a lot of solutions and What I love most about your community and just you and how you present yourself online is you are so vulnerable Mm. and you show Mm. the good and you show the difficult times. But what I really love is that you always show the solution to the difficult times rather than just like putting it out there. So Mm. I hired on Haley as my coach and she was the start of helping me become into or helping me move into this new version of myself but to get us all started Haley, take the floor if you were to get into the back of an uber so no one has any idea what you do what would you tell them yeah I would say that I am kind of like influencer gone ADHD coach um I accidentally became an ADHD influencer where I started posting videos and people related to them and I think I hit the like ADHD niche kind of before it became like this big thing that everyone was talking about. And so I propelled me forward online and, um, I had always struggled with work, always struggled with work and had realized that this was giving me this huge opportunity to talk about mental health and like self care and, um, strategies and tools that I had learned for myself. And I was like, Oh my God, I should teach other people how I do this and talk to other people about this. And so I took that leap of faith, which was super scary, but I did. And, uh, I became a full-time ADHD coach in, I think May of last year. So we were at a year now of doing it. Um, And yeah, just kind of coach folks on how to manage their ADHD and their mental health. And uh, like you said, very solutions based of just what to do when you feel like crap, because I do too. I struggle with it as well. So yeah, that's kind of what I do with with myself. (laughs) I love it. I love it. So I, uh, there's just so many different like points where I want to start, but let's start Mm -hmm. with you yourself. So you Mm -hmm. yourself have ADHD and you also have autism. Autism. Okay. Okay. I just want to make sure before 
And with that, so tell me about your upbringing and how Mm -hmm. you came to discover that that's what you have and kind of changing your mindset in a sense of it's not something bad to look at. If anything, it's Mm -hmm. you have an extra power that you can work with and, you know, now help other people discover their own power. So tell me about your childhood and how you came about to understanding all that. Yeah, totally. I mean, growing up, I was always the like super loud all over the place kid. Um, And I I think I always got labeled with the like, oh, she's bossy and she's, you know, so much, she's too much to deal with and all of these things. But really it was just this like intense hyperactive ADHD that had no outlet of how to manage it and deal with it. And I was diagnosed at four years old with anxiety, which we now know is a misdiagnosis that it was actually ADHD and the fact I was autistic. Um, But it's because I would have meltdowns continually all the time in my childhood. I would have these massive meltdowns. Um, But because I was functional in school, they thought, well, it couldn't possibly be autism. It couldn't possibly be ADHD because she's a really high-performing kid. Um, Even at four, like I was ahead in my reading grade and I was really competent with talking to people. And so, um, yeah, I just got completely misdiagnosed for... My cat's coming to say hi. (laughs) (laughs) I I got completely misdiagnosed for years and years and years. And through high school and stuff, I was always really high achieving. Um, My grade percentile was like 98% through all of high school. Um, And yeah, I was just like an overachiever. But behind the scenes, like I was having panic attacks every day. I really struggled socially, like making friends was really hard for me. Keeping friends was really hard for me because, um, of difficulties I have with like understanding other people's feelings or how things affect other people. And that's part of being autistic. Um, but yeah, no one ever put the label on me. No one ever said like, oh, you're doing, all of this is happening because you're autistic or because of ADHD. I had to be the first one to kind of start thinking that way. Um, when I was 21, I was talking with my therapist about this feeling that I was like, you know what? It feels like I've been treating symptoms my whole life, but there's this bigger thing. And I don't know what that bigger thing is. And she was the first person to say like, have you ever looked into ADHD? Has that ever been something that you've considered? And I was like, No, because I don't, in my head, I imagine ADHD as the little boy in the back of the class that like is rocking in his chair and stuff and can't sit still, which is not necessarily what I looked like. Um, But I went to my doctor and uh, ended up going privately to get diagnosed and I got diagnosed with ADHD and I was like, oh, this makes a lot of sense. And so I started managing it right away. I started treating it, working with it. There's a huge lack of tools for adults with ADHD that get diagnosed later in life. So I kind of had to create a bunch for myself. I had to do a ton of research. Like I spent so much time researching it because I got hyper fixated on it. Um, And after about a year of, you know, treating my ADHD, there still felt like this, I'm treating a symptom. Like there's so many other things that aren't being dealt with, even though I'm managing my ADHD And that's when I started looking into being autistic. And I was like, oh, that makes sense. Like this hits the nail for everything where I was like, you know, all of the social problems I had growing up, the meltdowns that I would experience and do still experience. I was like, this makes sense. It couldn't possibly just be ADHD. And so um, 
I went to my doctor to get diagnosed with autism. And I'm very open and honest about this, that I am not diagnosed medically. I am self-diagnosed with autism in that my doctor agrees that he's like, I think this is what's going on as well. But the diagnosis process, at least where I'm from, it takes months and months and months and it's very expensive. And if I were to get diagnosed properly, I don't really see like get any benefit from that. I'm not in school. I don't get anything from it. And so I don't want to take up space in a system that's not going to actually provide me any support at the end of it. And so I haven't gone that route and have just kind of openly said that, uh, you know, I have like the half like, yeah, we think you're autistic, but you don't have a full diagnosis type route. So yeah, so self-diagnosed autistic and then fully diagnosed ADHD. And yeah, I've just kind of now been spending the last couple of years trying to unmask and understand what it means to be this version of myself and now actually knowing the core problems how do I deal with that and not just the symptoms of everything right I first love that you are someone who wants to get to the root cause rather than just like just fix the symptoms Mm -hmm. okay something else comes on okay just like fix it and you know especially with western medicine so many doctors and so many Mm -hmm. ways people's way of thinking is constant just take a pill you'll feel better just do yeah and then it's just a cycle continuously so I really like that you went to the root cause of it if you don't mind me asking because you were diagnosed with depression at such a young age and you didn't figure out until it was ADHD until, correct me if I'm wrong, 21, you said? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So during that period of time, were you prescribed a lot of medication that you look mm. back and you're like, I probably shouldn't have been on and it didn't yeah. help me. If anything, it set me back or. Totally. Yeah. I've been, I've been on antidepressants and anti-anxiety meds for years. Like I first took them. Oh man, I can't, I was probably 15 or 16 when I first started taking stuff. And, uh, I've always been slightly anti-medication for myself. And so I've been on and off of it for a really long time. Um, just kind of take it when I felt like I needed it. But again, it, it just never felt like it was actually doing the right thing for me. And it often caused more issues than it did actually solve things because all the side effects that come with medication um, were just really frustrating and annoying. And it, it felt like things got worse. I had uh, addictive issues with medications as well because with when I got my ADHD. So I've always been kind of on the fence with for myself and how I manage medications. It's been a weird journey for sure. Mm-hmm. Especially at such a young age, because when you are so young and you're diagnosed with these medications, you don't fully yeah. know what's going on. So no. once you get to a certain age, I think from a child taking medication, you're like, I just want to be like, in a sense, quote unquote, yeah. normal. Like, I don't want to have to depend on these pills. Totally. And so once you got diagnosed with what is your diagnosis, do you now take medication for that? And do you feel a lot better Mm. or do you still, have you found maybe natural remedies of how you take care of that? Yeah. So I, when I first found out we were looking into medication options and I tried, um, Adderall and I got super addicted to it really, really quickly. Uh, I have a very addictive personality and that I abuse things if I have the opportunity to. And, So after about a month and a half of it, I was like, okay, I need to like stop this because it's actually not helping. It's hurting. Mm -hmm. Um, And I instead started taking anxiety and depression meds as a combination to kind of counteract it. And 
I took them for about a year and a half and was like, oh yeah, I couldn't imagine life without them. They're for sure helping, like obviously. And then uh, at the start of this year, I went off of them. And it was honestly as though somebody had taken like a veil off of my vision because I could see things more clearly. I had way more energy. Like I used to have to nap like almost every single day. I had no energy at all. And it was completely the medication. Um, and so I'm not medicated currently. And I feel generally pretty good about it. I don't have huge issues with it. I used to lean a lot on um, marijuana. That was a big thing. Like I used to smoke every day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was and like I, I didn't Way to call me out. With it. Yeah. And I know we've talked about this before too. Oh, so um but yeah, I used to smoke like every single day and I, I thought it really helped. Um and it felt like it was helping a lot, but I um I got pneumonia a month or two months ago now and um had to stop smoking. And I was like, okay, well let's stop smoking and see how this goes. And after about a month off of it it was kind of like, Oh God, I wasn't actually using it to fix my symptoms. And some of the things I struggle with, I was using it as a distraction or as a way to like avoid actually working on myself. And so, um, I'm not using that anymore, which has been good, but, um, yeah, I honestly think the main things that are helping me right now as an alternative to medication is just ensuring that my baseline needs are taken care of. So making sure that I have tools around my water consumption, my food, my sleep, my exercise, like all of those things are in check right now. And if ever they kind of go off a little bit, those are the things that are going to tell me that like my mental health's not good or that I'm not taking care of myself. So I think you said that perfectly is making sure your baseline is yeah. being taken care of because if, mm -hmm. ah, I love that. I love that. Yeah. Way to call me out on the marijuana. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> I, I, I first like huge kudos to you for realizing mm. like you don't need it. I'm currently in that weird thing where I'm like, yeah. I know it's not necessarily helping me. It's not fully hindering me, but I know at the end of the day, obviously a hundred percent sober is better than, putting alternatives and substances in your body so but it feels good yeah it's hard not you know, to right you know what here's my big here's my thing when it comes to like vices such as like marijuana or any other like psychedelics or whatever the case may be mm -hmm. is to have balance and also control and so yeah. for myself I know when I'm like, okay, I can't do this. And I did that previously when I went six months without it. Yeah. I just know I got this little monster inside of me. He really, mm -hmm. she or he really <laughs> enjoys it, you know, and that's yeah. that. But uh, whatever. <laughs> I feel that. I totally feel it. And you, and you even brought up like uh, psychedelic type stuff. Like I've used mushrooms um, this year for the first time in my life. Oh, okay. So go into that. How have you noticed like that it helped you in so many different ways? Holy shit. Okay. <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah, definitely. The first time that I did it, I took quite a low dose. Um, and it was just how like this. Sorry, go I ahead. Gonna, I, I was going to ask, how did you take it? I hate the taste of mushrooms. I actually didn't mind it. We, we took it in tea the first time, oh, okay. which was actually just like really nice. And then I ended up like topping up just by like eating some and they were totally fine. The second time I did it was through chocolate. So it like tasted like normal chocolate. Like it was totally fine. Um, but yeah, the first experience I had with it for me was very just like, um, I just like felt really good. And afterwards just felt my like 
energy was lifted. I felt happier every day type thing. Um, the second time I did it was really the like huge experience for me. I, I filmed an entire video about it on my YouTube channel, but I essentially like made this life changing realization that, you know, I wasn't my, my work, I wasn't happy with how I was presenting online. I, I realized I wanted to be, you know, better in my relationships with people and in my life and that, you know, my phone usage was super fucked up. And like, I really wanted to like essentially change my life after this, uh, uh, mushrooms experience. And, um, since then that was only in April. And like, since then I've been trying really hard now to seek out this vision that was given to me, like during this psychedelic experience of like what life could be like. And so I've been kind of seeking that and, um, yeah, it was it was really like a, a just a completely life changing experience for sure. <laughs> I love that for you, absolutely. I took mushrooms probably about two years ago, mm-hmm. and at that time, I got exactly what I needed. And I've heard yeah. other success stories from other people taking mushrooms, and I think that's so awesome. That you know, sometimes you need tools to help you come to more self-awareness because sometimes it's really hard to break down our inner walls. So I think that's awesome that you were able to go through that experience and now change a lot of things, change, you know, old habits that were no longer serving you into healthier habits that are going to help you get to that vision that you're ultimately working towards right now. So that's awesome. That's super awesome. It's been really cool. Mm-hmm. That's uh, that's super cool. So moving along, mm-hmm. for someone who may think that they have ADHD, but hasn't gotten diagnosed, are there certain symptoms that many people all have? Or mm. is the bell curve very different? Mm. Walk me through that. Yeah, the tough thing about ADHD is that all of the symptoms on their own, anyone can experience at any time. You don't have to have ADHD to experience any of ADHD symptoms, which is why it's so hard to diagnose, right? Because, you know, ADHD can cause, um, let's say like paralysis in that we get stuck in a state of like not feeling like we can do anything. Everyone experiences that from time to time. It doesn't mean that you have ADHD. The, the way that ADHD is diagnosed is by having a combination of many of the symptoms and that they're debilitating in some way. Um, and so I think if there are people that are considering that, like, oh, you know, I think I have this, which I know social media makes it so easy to assume that we all have ADHD because of how it's presented online. And, you know, I play into that for sure. Um, I usually just like tell people that there is no harm in treating ADHD, even if you don't have a full proper diagnosis. Um, If one of the things that you're recognizing is a symptom, like maybe let's say the, um, you know, paralysis of sorts, find solutions and tools for that. You don't have to have a diagnosis to learn how to manage that. And I think that that's one of like the most important things I would say to people is that like, recognize what symptoms are presenting and treat them like work on those things. You don't have to have the entire scope of things to understand how to manage the smaller things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause for myself, so kind of a little background on my ADHD, I have always just felt different than mm-hmm. others growing up in some way or another, kind of, as you expressed earlier, emotions has been a huge thing. I just, yeah. I'm I've always just said I can't fully understand emotions unless I've been through that. 
Yeah. Which sounds bad, especially when there's been like a death in the family and I was super young or a death with an animal. And I was just kind of like, yeah, it's sad, but why are we crying about it? You know, and obviously Mm. I felt so bad and I was like, oh my God, am I a bad human? And then other things of being distracted, the not being able to do anything because your mind is just going a million miles an hour, being able to go from like one thing to another to another. And so something... As I was growing up, it wasn't until, I want to say middle school, I finally went to the doctor, got diagnosed to some degree, I honestly, I don't fully remember, was given medication, but it made me feel so nauseous. Mm -hmm. And at the time, I was like, I don't want to feel this way. So I wouldn't always take it. And then I just stopped taking medication. I kind of was always just told, this is just the way I guess to live. So I just came up with my own mechanisms, whether they were correct or not. And then I finally, in my later years, I want to say I was like 23, got diagnosed, got on Adderall, Vyavance, whatever it was, and kind of similar. I love it. Yeah. (laughs) I didn't know. Honestly, I did it a lot in college. I didn't have Mm -hmm. a prescription for it, but even like the very first time I tried Adderall, I was like, "Mm." Mm-hmm. limitless yeah. movie I guess. yeah exactly oh my god it's like this new world just opens up and you're like oh i can see it's great right and it, it is so crazy especially with someone that has so many things going on in their mind at racing speeds to mm-hmm. finally just narrow down it, it feels wonderful and honestly i think that's why i smoke marijuana because it yeah. kind of does like the same effect totally but again understanding that these medications are basically meth is mm-hmm. so just wild to think that that's even allowed Mm. but also that we don't as a society talk about healthy alternatives because as you just explained whether you have adhd or not a lot of the symptoms are there's so many symptoms and everybody can experience symptoms so we should all be having like solutions rather than just like pill 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 totally yeah and like I, I know that for us, we differ slightly with medications in that, like, I I do think there are cases where medications make sense for people. Oh, absolutely. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I don't want to come off as all medication is horrible because absolutely. For sure. I think that <laughs> I, just, I just, I don't like people. I shouldn't say I don't like people, but when people's mindset is just instant gratification, if I just yeah. take this pill, I will be fine rather than like doing the research and making yeah. sure you are going on the right path. Totally. Yeah. And I definitely know of people that lean on medications, but don't actually do any work on themselves. And then they continue to complain. And it's like, oh my God, like just start doing the work. Like it's for me, one of the most frustrating things is, uh, you know, I, I work with tons and tons of people with ADHD. And the reason that it's nice to work with the people I work with is because, you know, when you came to me, you were like, I want these things to be different. I want these things to be better. And I'm like, let's do it. Awesome. But there are so many people with ADHD that are like, they don't care. They don't actually want anything to change because it requires work or effort, which is why they lean on something like medication. Cause they're like, it's way easier to just pop a pill than it is to find the strategies that work for me have some self-discipline and work on these things for myself. And so that for me is like one of the most frustrating things when I see that with people with ADHD is like that lack of desire to actually work on themselves. So what would you recommend to someone that has that type of mindset? Mm, I I think honestly what I've done, I've, 
actually for the first time in my life had a client that I realized didn't want to work on themselves is I did a visualization with them, which was this idea of, can you imagine your life right now? Nothing changes for the rest of your life. All that changes that you get older. That's the only thing that changes. Would you be satisfied with that? And it's imagining this, you know, well, not only is it going to stay the same, but it's going to get worse, you know, keep continuing to imagine that everyone's going to be surpassing you in life and you're not going to have built any skills or any tools, any strategies, the things that you're struggling with are going to get worse. How does that feel? Is that something you're content with? And if the answer is no, then it's okay. Well, let's consider the future where things are different. Imagine the future where you have all the tools and strategies. You've built out this like resilience and this ability to work on yourself. How much better would life be then? And for me, like that's the thing that I always lean on, even on the days where I'm like, I don't want to fucking do it. I don't want to get up. I don't want to do the things today. Is that reminder of like, I'm not working towards the future where I'm not better. I'm working towards the future where I'm the best version of myself and I've got everything I want in life. So I got to do it. I got to do it now today to make that impact in the future. Um, And that's actually, you know, a symptom of ADHD is having this inability to predict our future and to see what is the outcome of our actions. And so forcing people to actually consider, like, are you satisfied with where your life is now? And if nothing changes, um, I think it's kind of that first step that you need to make to actually want to make any sort of change in your life. Absolutely. It comes down to taking responsibility of yourself and the first step of self-awareness, understanding what you want, your interests, all that. Dang. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Dang. Yeah. (laughs) I love it. That was so powerful. I love it. I love it. I love it. (laughs) And you brought up a good point. Motivation. There's times where you yourself, who Mm -hmm. is a coach who helps other people have ADHD, wake up and you don't want to do it, but you tell yourself and you have these tools. Mm -hmm. Name some other tools that you have when you're feeling low motivation. I mean, I will say like, I even posted a video this morning and I actually had to cancel and move some of my coaching calls today because today was a day that I woke up and I was in tears. I was in, I don't want to do it today. I don't want to function. I don't want to work. I don't want to do anything today. And that's how I started my day today, which is a horrible way to start the day. Um, but one of like, you know, the, there were two things that I had to do for myself today, which was one, I was dysregulated, which is something that a lot of ADHDers and autistic people deal with, which is this feeling of like not having control of our emotions and, um, you know, just feeling not in control. And so I had to regulate myself. And so for myself, I needed to go for a walk. I needed to eat. I needed to drink some water. I needed to, you know, do things to get dopamine into my system and to center myself and ground myself. Um, but the second and probably the more important tool is that I have a routine system that this is something I teach to a lot of my clients now, um, is this idea of, I have a morning routine, but there are three versions of the exact same morning routine. There is version number one, which is like, I have all the energy in the world. This is usually like my weekend routine. I can do as many things as I want. I have a ton of time. There's version two, which is the most likely routine where it's like, I've got energy. I can do most of the things that day. And then there's version three, which is I have no energy at all, but there's a minimum. This is the minimum amount of things I have to do every morning to start my day. Um, And so on a day like today where I'm dysregulated, I don't feel good. I stay disciplined to the, well, I don't have to do everything. 
I can just do the minimum and be okay with that being how I start my day because it automatically sets me up for success for the rest of the day because it, you know, continues a routine, builds structure. I get dopamine from task completion. Um, so yeah, having like base tools already set up preemptively, that's when, you know, the shit days that come around, I actually have tools to lean on then. No, I think that's awesome that you have three different versions. A lot of mm-hmm. people won't talk about that. They only talk about one morning routine, yeah. one night routine. But at the end of the day, there's going to be times where you don't sleep 100% yeah. or something comes up or, you know, we can't predict the world and the future and what's to come. So I yeah. think that's wonderful that you give yourself grace and depending on how you feel that morning is what routine, but you know your baseline, what you must cover. I think that is awesome and such a great tool. Mm -hmm. Now, creating that structure is a whole different story. I think a lot of people expect, okay, well, I want my morning routine to wake up at 5 a.m. and then I'm going to go to the gym and then I'm going to drink this greens and then I'm going to oil pool and then I'm going to read five pages, whatever the case may be. They add so much onto their workload when they've never done it before. And then by day three, they're exhausted or they just feel, you know, burnt out and they can't continue. So then they completely fall off. So someone that is working to build these structures, how can you, what can you recommend to that person to under, for them to understand it's going, it's a process. It doesn't just happen overnight. Totally. When I build out those routines with a client and I will like sit down and we build out every single piece of that routine is we'll check in and say, look, right now we have been doing only the minimum. We've only been living in a minimum state for months, years, potentially. It'd be completely unrealistic for me now to say, okay, we're going to go to a you know, routine number one, which is everything. And I want you to do that every single day. And so we set up realistic goals together where I'll say, you know, is it realistic that this week on the weekend you do one high achieving routine where we do like everything on that day? And, you know, on one other day we do our most likely routine so that we're only bumping ourselves up one step (laughs) rather than five steps and, you know, going to like the extreme. Um, And, you know, this is partially why coaching is so helpful and I'm not trying to sell myself here. It's just like, it's so much harder to hold yourself accountable to like, well, this week I only need to do the, you know, the top routine just once because I know for myself, I'm such an overachiever that I'd be like, well, I'm going to do it every single day. But having a coach be like, Hey, we're going to talk next week. I want to hear that you've only done it once. And we're going to talk about how that went it gives that like accountability to actually do that. Um, and I think that's possible without coaching. I think it's possible. You can do it with holding accountability with like a partner can help with that. Friends can help with that. Just having someone that you're verbally talking to because the level of self-discipline it requires to do it in steps rather than in whole, uh, is often lacking in ADHDers. (laughs) So I think the accountability piece is actually like the most important piece when you're building out a routine like that. Absolutely. And going back to what I said earlier, I hired you Mm -hmm. and you were the help and kind of what I needed to 
jumpstart my transition because as you just said, I needed someone to keep me accountable and you kept me accountable because I knew every week I was going to have to tell you whether I (laughs) failed or whether I made success. And there were times I didn't want to hop on the phone with you because Mm-hmm. I needed another week. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I wasn't, I wasn't ready to <laughs> keep accountable and, you, you know, and also be vulnerable enough to talk about my mistakes or my yeah. failings. But I a hundred percent agree with you when it comes to hiring on a coach mm-hmm. because the accountability and also just having someone to, feel like they understand you. That was one of the biggest things I got from you because every, you yourself are such like a wholesome, you have such a beautiful heart. You can get that through. I mean, even just right now. And so I felt very comfortable with you. Mm. And again, the fact that you post on your social media, the good and the bad, the full you made me feel so much better to also open up with you. Mm -hmm. And I feel that in return, I got so much more out of it as well because I was willing to be vulnerable. Totally. And I think with having ADHD, being vulnerable is kind of hard Mm -hmm. because you struggle with, I don't want to say more things than anybody else, but struggle with a lot. Yeah, totally. And like people pleasing is such an ADHD thing, right? Like so many of us struggle with this idea that like, you know, it's it's often I've I've heard from so many of my clients that like therapy didn't work for them in the way that they wanted it to because they'd show up to their therapy sessions and lie or avoid because they didn't want to face the facts of like, you know, I didn't do the things you told me to do, but being able to talk to someone that really does get it. You know, if, if someone comes to a session is like, I didn't do my morning routines this week, I'm not going to make you feel bad about it. Cause I'm like, fair enough. Like shit happens. Let's talk about what the barriers were. Like, let's figure that out together. Um, and I'll always be real. Yeah. I, I love being vulnerable online. Um, I know it's, it's, it can be very hard to do of like, like even the video I posted today is extraordinarily vulnerable. I'm crying. I'm upset. It's the middle of me and like a dysregulated meltdown Um, but getting to see how many people react to that and then go like, wow, I relate to this. Wow. This, you know, I needed to see this today. I needed to see that somebody else was going through this and like got through it because at the end of the day, like having someone to relate to, you know, makes us feel like we belong and that belonging feeling is often what we're seeking out of this world. And if we don't have an outlet for that, like, you know, it's so hard to functionally move forward and feel motivated to continue to do things if we feel like we're the outlier in a massive world. So, um, yeah, I think vulnerability on both parts of like both the coach and the client are, is hugely important. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And going back to vulnerability and you posting on social media mm-hmm. and you sharing parts of your life that normally a lot of people would keep behind closed doors. How did you do that? Because there's so (laughs) many people that could never do that. I mean, you have to, at the end of the day, there are going to be so many people that you help, but you are in a industry where it's kind of a 
polarity. Some people agree with ADHD. Some people don't believe in it. And so you're putting yourself out there to be loved and hated at the same exact Mm -hmm. time. And so how did you make that leap to just say, I'm going to show up authentically. This is who I am. Here we are. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a, it's a really big answer to be totally honest, but. Okay. But no, I, I, I want to hear yeah. it. Please. Okay. My, my introduction to like, I've always wanted to be online. Always. Like even when I was young, I wanted to be a YouTuber. That was like the thing I was, I loved that idea. Um, and so, you know, I've, I've made attempts in the past to be an online person, but my introduction to being an ADHD creator was at the start of, uh, last year in 2022. And I was leaving a extraordinarily abusive relationship that ended with an arrest. It was a really, really bad situation. And I had realized out of that super awful situation that had I been myself sooner, I would have protected myself and I would have been safe. And so I realized in last year that it was like, there's only ever harm that comes out of me pretending I'm somebody I'm not. Not me crying. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm on my period. So like, totally. extra I'm tearing up. I'm tearing up too, but it's so true. And like, it, it did come out of trauma. It did. And and, and throughout the year, um, I was working on unmasking. That's been something I've been practicing for years now. But last year, it really came forward that it was like, you know, I, I want to be able to protect myself. And to do that, I have to know who I am and I have to be that person. And so it also required me to end my relationship with my dad as well. And so last year, I cut him out completely. And so... I made this really strong stand of like, I'm going to be myself and anyone that decides that they don't like that person or want that person in their life doesn't get to have me in their life. And that's okay. Um, And so when I started posting online, these more vulnerable moments, I was only met with love. I was only met with just this amazing community of people that just... They, they needed a friend. They needed someone to relate to, to understand them. And I was that person for them. And it just propelled me to be like, yeah, the best version of myself is the version that is always Haley. And that version of Haley, she isn't always chipper and happy, which is what I tried to convey for so many years. I was always happy Haley. Like that was just who I was. I was this excitable, lovable, really, you know, like, I guess flamboyant is kind of the, the term. I was really out there all the time. But when I started to show people like, no, I go through shit a lot and I struggle a lot. And, um, making those moments more real, I just connected with people in a different way. And I connected with myself in a different way where, um, yeah, I just felt more full as a human, to be honest. I love this so much. You have no (laughs) idea because it's such a beautiful journey that you've Mm -hmm. now evoked upon I always mess up on my words, but embark upon. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And now, you know, you're living a totally different life than you were a year and a half ago. I think that's what you said. Oh, yeah. And just all the success, positivity piece that you've welcomed into your life from being yourself and living authentically of who you are. Yeah. And, And I will say, like, there are moments that that's not easy. There are definitely moments where that really comes out of like, 
you got a mask, you got to be this other person that people expect you to be. And, um, part of my journey earlier, uh, this year from my like shrooms experience was realizing that I was, um, you know, forcing myself to be authentic online, but the authentic online was kind of somewhat fake that I was like, okay, well, I have to post today. What is going on today? Oh, well, I'm struggling with this. I'll talk about this. And it like felt forced, like forced authenticity. And so I've kind of had to like shift to be like, if I'm really going to be authentic, I need to just show up when I want to show up. I don't need to show every struggle that happens, but I also don't need to show every positive thing that happens. Um, and there's a lot of like imposter syndrome that comes with it for sure too, where ever since making that shift online, my numbers have gone cool like that have dropped oh, really? um, oh, completely. Wow. And it's because I went from farming views. I went from going, I'm going to make viral content to mm-hmm. I'm going to make Haley content. Mm-hmm. And that shift naturally brought a massive decline. And I've had to like check myself to be like, okay, I crave that attention. I crave the, the like, dopamine baby. Yeah. Oh my that. God. I crave those feelings. And like, I used to get videos with millions and millions of views and now I'm not seeing that. And so part of me goes, be that person again, go back, be the, be the influencer, go be that person. Uh, but I have to kind of ch- continually check myself to go like, well, that's not me. I'm not an influencer. I'm not a walking brand. I am just Haley. I need to just show up as that person. Um, Cause it is at the end of the day, more fulfilling to just be me because the, um, you know, the moments that I'm most proud of in my life are never like the, Oh, I got a video that got 5 million views. I never would have called someone and been like, this video got 5 million views. That's not how I would react to it. But when I have breakthrough moments with clients and things, I would, you know, call my boyfriend and be like, this amazing breakthrough happened because it's, it really stuck with me and felt, you know, the truest form of Haley was helping people. And so, yeah, having to like distinguish the, the dopamine and the versions of Haley and what versions people expected versus really who I actually am was a very important distinction for sure. That's so awesome that you're able to recognize that within yourself, though, because mm-hmm. that takes a lot of self-awareness and be able. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is Kylo. <laughs> hello, hello. Hey, dude. <laughs> oh, I love that. I love that. I miss having a little cat. They're so much fun. They're so fun. They're, they always These come at the functions. best times. Always. <laughs> but again, I think that is so awesome that you're able to kind of take a bird's eye view onto your own life and yeah. be okay with, I don't like this version I'm becoming. I need to mm. course correct. Yeah. So that's great. Now, did you notice your community when you weren't fully being yourself? Did you realize your community had shifted? Were they not were they yeah. not as engaged from when you first started? Mm, I think definitely because you know a year ago when I was really starting to like blow up online, my whole like I always, always said this is a means to an end. I don't want to be like a massive influencer. I'd love to be online, but I want it to be a means to an end. I want to build a community. I want to help people. And that stopped being my thing that I would say. It started to be about, I want to make as much money as possible. I want to be perceived as being the best in the the industry. And uh, my audience started, you know, really recognizing that, 
I wasn't showing up as authentically and that uh, I was doing a lot more sponsorships with companies I didn't care about, um, which if you're a short form content creator, those ads are really obvious because it's an entire video you're making about it. Um, and so a lot of people started to kind of back away and I would get comments like, really, this is the fourth ad this month and stuff like that. Um, and I, wow. I think people started seeing that I was selling out for sure. And I've like totally owned up to that, that it was all like, for me, it was all about the money. I was like, well, I hit this goal. Can I hit this income goal next? And like really start to grow. Um, and so I had to take a huge step back. I didn't do any sponsorships April or the first part of May. Um, and I reevaluated to be like, okay, why do you do sponsorships? Like, why do you interact with brands and companies? And it's because I want to give my audience, you know, products that I think will actually help them. It's not because I want money. It's because I want to support my community. And so I had to reevaluate that and, um, I think people have seen that shift, especially with me doing less advertising and more um, solution-based content, less about, you know, making income, more about, you know, being able to sustain being online, because obviously I need to have money, um, but sustaining online while doing it ethically and not, you know, feeling like I'm selling out completely. <laughs> well, first, thank you for being able to be open and mm -hmm. upfront with us about yeah. your struggles because I think that you know social media a lot of people don't understand the game I'm still yeah, totally very very similar to you I've been transitioning myself I've been on social media in different like spurts of my life and I feel like now I'm at the point where I'm most authentically myself and I'm so excited to help and serve and provide for other people and I've stepped mm -hmm. into this more like thought leader instead yeah. of everything I previously was doing and where was I going to go with this? Oh, but with social media and how there's so many different avenues of making money and also the mm -hmm. possibility of how much you can yeah. make on social media rather compared to a nine to five job that most yeah. people your age are probably working. You know, we're born with this ideology to make as much money as we possibly can. Yeah. So I think that is so awesome that you're able to identify that with yourself change mm. it and then be open and honest about it because at the end yeah. of the day the more you're open and honest about your own journey who you are what you're here to do the more respect and the better community that you're going to create totally yeah so. I, I tried to be open and honest about the like sponsorships and the financials of things because it really was just blinding me for quite a while and and I've only just kind of like pulled myself out of that of like, let's focus on how to help as many people, but also be able to just sustain ourselves and see where that takes us. Um, but yeah, it is hard. It's hard because it is when you have a successful social media, it's very easy for companies to come to you with these lavish and like very exciting brand deals to say no to them. Like it is really easy to be like, one 60 second video. That's all I need to post. And I get $10,000. Like, great. I want to do that. That sounds so easy, but you know, it's not again, thinking of the future of what does that actually mean? Well, it means that I'm supporting this company, whatever this company is, and that I'm kind of selling out for them in many ways. And so 
Yeah, it's, it's, I think a lot of creators still really struggle with that. Um, but yeah, finding the balance between how do you support yourself and your work, but also, you know, be doing it in like an ethical, moral way that you feel good about is, is hard. Finding that balance is hard. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, I'm excited to continue watching your journey when it comes to figuring that out, because Mm -hmm. I look up to you in a lot of different ways. (laughs) Like I love watching your content. And again, with how authentic you show up has really helped me become more authentic in how I show up. So Mm -hmm. thank you. I appreciate that because a lot of people don't, a lot of content creators don't. And I think that social media is slowly changing where a lot more people want more related, relatable people. And again, you do that. Everybody (laughs) needs to go check you out, but going back to ADHD and Mm -hmm. there's two more topics I would like to hit one being family. So for myself with having ADHD and we are similar in age with the uprise of internet and research and just how easy it is to get information. Mm-hmm. Our parents didn't have it the way that we had it. Yeah. Just like you, I had to seek out about ADHD symptoms and what it's like, all this stuff. And now I've gone back to my mom and say, I did this as a child. I did this, this, this. Like, how did you not know? But I then remember she didn't have the yeah. internet. Are you similar with your mom and you go back and you teach her the things of ADHD, different symptoms, tools, sorry. And to add to that, I've also Mm -hmm. realized that my mother has a different level of ADHD. And so I've also been able to give her (laughs) tools to help navigate her own life. Totally. Yeah. I, it's so funny that you bring that up because my mom and I, while we were at, I went to New York with my mom last week and, um, we filmed a podcast episode together talking about it. I I can't wait. Yeah. (laughs) And it's, uh, it, it is so interesting that I really now, when you look at it, I, I presented so many of the symptoms, like so obviously too. Um, but I do realize that it wasn't her fault at all for missing them. And it wasn't even just the case that she didn't have education around it because she was a extraordinarily well-read parent. Like she was the parent that researched everything. And there was a reason I got diagnosed with anxiety at four, right? Like they were really looking into everything to help me. Um, But I also came from a household where one of the parents didn't believe in a lot of mental health issues. And so even as we did get more information later in life, it it didn't matter. It was like, well, that's not really a thing. You know, you got to get over it. You got to be tougher and all of those types of things. Um, But looking back now is like my childhood. It is very apparent that there were so many ADHD things. And and my mom, too, is also very apparently ADHD. Um, and, you know, she talked with me in my podcast episode about her experiences as a kid. Like, she had her own desk in her hallway because her she was so frequently sent out in the hall because she couldn't sit still. She couldn't stop talking to people. She always needed to be doing something. And so and she liked sitting out in the hallway because she could actually focus for once because there weren't distractions. And, uh, yeah, it, it is just wild to, like, look back on and recognize you know how how much we've we've changed in our knowledge of ADHD because you know I I think it wasn't until I could have this wrong but it's uh, I think the DSM-5 didn't include ADHD as an adult disorder until somewhere around like 2016 which when you think about it is is so not long ago at all and so 
yeah, it, it's crazy to, to know that, you know, even if when I was, when we were both really, really young, all the information they had too was all around boys and all of the testing and the studies were done with boys. And so it wasn't even considered that like young girls could have it unless it was unbelievably obvious or they were in a household with a brother that presented the same symptoms, then it was really obvious. Um, and so, yeah, I don't fault my parents. Well, I don't fault my mom for not <laughs> recognizing the, you know, the signs earlier because, you know, her parents didn't recognize the signs earlier because we just didn't have the information then for sure. Right, right. That's awesome that you're able to like go back and be like, mom, okay, let me help you out. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and then also like hear how her situation's growing up and yeah. how similar and stuff. So then mm -hmm. for the next topic, mm -hmm. I love how you include sex and ADHD. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm, totally. I've been very gravitated to it because as a woman who has ADHD, you mm -hmm. have mentioned many things where I'm like, no <laughs> fucking way. Yeah, totally. There's so much like stigma around talking about sex in general. Oh, yeah. Yeah, right? And then you add on... Uh, like mental health and ADHD and how that interacts. Yeah. It, it's a lot of people can be like turned off by that conversation. Hmm. I'm so mm -hmm. turned on by it. Yeah. <laughs> and with, that being, with that being said, how, what, how did you come across knowing that your ADHD was affecting your sex life? Yeah. I think, um, I had such a, an interesting sexual journey in that I had a partner for four years that our sex life was pretty much non-existent, was really bad. Um, and at the time I thought it was like, you know, maybe there's problems with me. I must just be, you know, this, that, and the other thing, and there must be something wrong with me. Um, and when I got my ADHD diagnosis, I started reading, like I said, everything there was to read about ADHD. And I came across an article that had been medically reviewed about how ADHD can affect, you know, your sex drive and how it can either make you hypersexual or hyposexual in the sense that you could not want it at all. Um, and I started considering like, oh, this is so interesting. I started reading more about it. And I realized like, I am a hypersexual person, but I was in a relationship for four years that I didn't have any sex. And the reason was, was because I didn't know how to have sex uh, without distractions. I didn't know how to make myself feel like I was in a safe sensory place. And at a certain point, sex felt like a chore and it felt like, you know, there's too much to do to actually make it enjoyable. So I'm just not going to do it. Um, but learning my ADHD, I was like, oh, I need to have other sounds in the room at the same time or else I can't focus. Like I need to have music or, you know, even like rain sounds or something or a fan or something going. The room can't be too hot. Like my, my sensory issues show up because of it. Um, you know, it has to smell good in the room. Even if it smells bad, I'm not going to be turned on. And like all of these things interacted with it. It honestly, for me, gave me so much relief to be like, oh my God, like I am someone that enjoys sex. Like, oh, that's great to know. Okay. I didn't know that for so long. It was just the circumstances were not set up for me to succeed in the bedroom. And so then I just avoided it. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that's the case for a lot of ADHDers is that they don't understand how, you know, how much sensory issues can come into play um, and how much 
you know, the hyperactiveness of our brains can interact with our, you know, sexual relationships. It's crazy how much I relate to your story because Mm -hmm. in my previous relationship, I was with him. We lived together too. And we were together for, I want to say like two and a half years, maybe a little bit more, but I did bodybuilding competitions, which also the lower fat that you go, your libido goes down. Mm -hmm. But even before and after, same thing. I only had sex because I was like, "Eh, it's probably going to satisfy you, but I don't want to do it. But previously, and when I wasn't with him, even after I was like, oh, this is a whole new world. Yeah. But when it came down to actually connecting with someone and building that intimate sexual rather than just kind of like one night stands or like a a fling for a month fling type of thing, uh, that's where I struggled. And Mm. so for someone who might might be struggling okay let me revert but let me go back (laughs) me me starting my journey with my only fans was kind of my eye opener into understanding Mm -hmm. that just sex in general and your sexuality and understanding how everybody is just so different and you have what turns you on and other people have opposites and there's just so much that goes into it that we're not taught but as someone who is a woman who has adhd who struggles in the bedroom, walk us through maybe what you do to set up Mm -hmm. so that we can take some tools that we can implement into our own sex life. Yeah. I will say first, learning to have a regimented masturbation routine is actually a really powerful practice. I would say the first step that I took in my sexual journey, when I was like starting to learn how to enjoy sex again, was that I needed to enjoy being with myself first and understanding what that all meant. Um, And so I went through the five senses and I I say this for almost everything is that the the five senses for me are kind of like the, the the biggest triggers that can make or break something. And so with my own practice with myself, it was like, okay, well, what sounds do I want going right now? Okay. Well, I can turn the fan on, turn a little music on. Let's get it sexy in here. Like, yeah, okay. That works. Um, I want it to smell nice in here. So let's light a candle at the same time. Great. Um, the lighting is way too bright in here. Let's turn off all the lights, close the blinds. Like, oh yeah, that feels a lot better. Um, you know, I don't want to have like a, a bad taste in my mouth. So maybe I'll brush my teeth beforehand, which is both for like sex and for myself is really helpful. Um, and then, and then the touch is, is the, the largest part about the sexual journey is, is really learning what touch you like and don't like. <laughs> Hello. Um, I learned very much that like for myself, there were certain types of touch that completely turned me off. And so like my ears, for example, because I have such a high intense. Um, I'm, I'm very sensitive to sound. And so when someone would whisper in my ear or something, I would like pretend as though I liked it. Even though for me, it was like, I want to fucking die right now. Like it was the I worst thing in the when world. People, like get in my neck and so I'm like, <laughs> yeah, me too. And so yeah, it, it was kind of learning what touch I did like and what touch I didn't like. Um, and I did all that by myself first. And then when entering that into a, a, a relationship with a partner, um, I would always kind of like start to set uh, a couple of ground rules with people. I would kind of say like the, hey, like I really like when the lights are off. I really like when it's a little darker in the room. I really like when it's not so hot in here. Um, uh, I always make sure that my partner has freshly brushed teeth <laughs> when we go to the bedroom together. Because for me, that's a huge like turn on or turn off. Um, 
And the nice thing too, is that if you have a long-term partner, it's very easy to set it up one time and that kind of be the norm after that. So I, I would say for anyone that doesn't currently have a productive sexual experience, it is walking through the five different senses and considering what positive change you can make for each of those to maybe enhance the experience. That's a super great tool. Like, you know, as you just yeah. go through your hand, okay, touch, taste, you know, all the different things. For myself, something that I learned through you actually was mm-hmm. sound. So yeah. I've always been someone, I love putting on Odessa or The Weeknd or even kind of, as you mentioned, nature sounds or yeah. anything to help zone me out. And that for a while, I was almost embarrassed or not comfortable enough to express that to mm-hmm. a partner or my yeah. partner. And you almost gave me the courage and the confidence to understand that having a routine for your sex life is normal. And, (laughs) you know, having that communication because it can be nerve wracking and we're not taught these things. And, you know, especially everybody has their ways, but to be upfront and confident and say, this is what I enjoy. You got to, you know, respect it make it happen so that we can all enjoy the experience totally so if someone for someone from even myself or if someone relates to this what do you do if you're in the middle of enjoying yourself with your partner and you just realize your brain just goes and you Mm. try to bring it back like how do you bring it back in yeah for for me that does happen for sure it actually quite frequently happens is that Um, if I'm in like a high stress day or something and I, you know, I'm in a a experience with my partner and I'm like, Oh, I'm thinking about work all of a sudden and I'm not here. Um, is I will communicate truthfully. It's, it's the, the, I think like the baseline structure and positive baseline for a sexual experience is being able to communicate with your partner. And so for me, I'll just say like, um, you know, I need to feel reconnected. So what can I do about this? And often for me, that is like, I want something where I am closer to them or that they are talking more. That actually helps me a lot is that when my partner talks during a sexual experience, Mm. it pulls me in. It makes me focused on what they're saying. Um, And so, you know, in the middle of like sex, if I'm not focused or something, I'll say like, you know, what do you want to do to me? Like, I'll say something like that and just pull them in to be like, tell me, talk to me. Like, I want to hear, like, get me into it. Um, and it just immediately pulls me back in. And so I would say just, you know, communicating to your partner what you need in that moment to feel reconnected. And that can either be, you know, through talking or different touch or changing your position or where you're at right there. Um, and also being open to the idea that like, you're allowed to pause, you're allowed to stop at any time. Right. Um, and I've had power in that too, of being like, I'm not into this anymore. I'm okay with just like being done right here. Can we be done? And it's like, okay, yeah, cool. And then we finish and that's, that's that. And it doesn't have to always be sex for completion. It can be sex for connection. And so, yeah, going into it with that mindset, I think helps. That was great. I'm going to go try some of those tips. Yeah. (laughs) So thank you. (laughs) I appreciate that because that is something I definitely do sometimes struggle with is I will just go so just like far and I'm like, oh shit, like bring it, bring it, bring it back. But as you just mentioned them talking, you're so Mm -hmm. right. You're so right. That helps me as well. Yes. Mm -hmm. 
oh, I'm so excited for the tips and the tools, baby. <laughs> totally, yeah. I think people so, are often really surprised when I talk about sex. I mean, because, like, look at me. I look like an adult child. and Oh, my gosh. A lot of people, I love like, it. I love it. <laughs> it's so funny. Like, I think oftentimes I get very much infantilized. Like, a lot of people think of me as being young and as being – like, I don't come off as sexy. I think – I am like the least sexy person ever. And so frequently You know how to be sexy. We've seen photos on your Instagram. Don't you even I like it is something that I've always struggled with of like I feel like I I am I don't show that ever. It's something that's very intimate to me. But when I do come out and start talking about it, people are like, Oh my god, this human like has sex. And I'm like, Yep, this is a thing I do. People are wild. They are. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. So as a successful entrepreneur, content creator, ADHD coach, someone who takes self-awareness, understands yourself, shows up authentically. If you could go back to your younger self, Hmm. what is a one piece of advice you would give yourself? Oh man. I mean, it's tough because there's so many. Um, I think the biggest one would be stop trying to impress other people because I spent all of my time doing everything for everyone else. And I forgot what it meant to just live for me. It's why I grew up really fast. I stopped playing with toys way too early because I was like, I want to be an adult. I want to, I want to show people that I'm an adult really young. It's because I just wanted to impress people when really I lost out on parts of my childhood because of that. And, you know, in high school, I was such a high achiever. I was student council president. I was in all of the musicals. I did every single club that there was. I was in the 98 percentile. Did I enjoy any of it? Not a chance. Are people still thinking about it? I doubt it completely. Was it impressive to people? Maybe. But does that matter? Not at all. Because at the end of the day, I would wish that I could go back and enjoy being a teenager rather than living at a place where I wanted other people to think that I was the best. So yeah, stop trying to impress people. And I think that's still something that I, to this day, have to work on. I think that is awesome. I think that is so awesome and such a great nugget of advice. So where can the people find you, Haley? How can people start working with you to work on their own ADHD to stay accountable? Yeah. Because let me tell you people, she is the one. I have firsthand experience. You do, you do. Um, well, I will say I do now run my business or like my coaching for ADHD is actually a, a woman run business. Now I have multiple coaches that work under me as well, that I've trained, which is really awesome. And so there are multiple of us that are available to coach people. So you can find me. Uh, I think the place I'm most active is Instagram, but, uh, you can find me on Instagram, TikTok, YouTube with my more long form stuff. Um, but busy bee with ADHD is my company name. You can find us online, get to our website and book a consultation with any of our coaches perfect and i'll make sure to include everything in the links is there anything you would like to add before we go our separate ways (laughs) well i will say thank you for having me on i super appreciate it i love having opportunities to talk and also being able to like 
watch your growth and success since we were working together is so enjoyable to see. I love seeing what you're doing and how you're growing. And I can't wait to just like keep following along and watching you, you know, continue to do amazing things. Oh, I appreciate that so much. It is, it is crazy that you were a part of, obviously you were a part of my journey, but at a very dark slash like transitional time and how we've been able to connect and Mm. follow one another and support one another so oh I really hope that one day we get to meet one another I will be coming to Canada I have to because I need to go (laughs) visit so I'm making my boyfriend come along we're gonna come meet you that's for sure (laughs) hell yeah my place is always open (laughs) (laughs) but Haley thank you so much for coming on the give me more Genji podcast you were absolutely amazing gave so much great advice and I appreciate your time. Thank you. So until next episode, Gingy out. <laughs>